Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. I'm here with Dr. George Waring IV. He's the Director of Refractive Surgery and the Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Medical University of South Carolina. George, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Uh, you're, you're actually the first uh, guest of ours to be uh, featured in our new OIS podcast studios. And by studios, I actually mean I'm in an office, but I've got a brand new microphone supplied by our OIS podcast producer, Mario. So my, my voice should sound crisper and clearer to, uh, to our listeners if my questions, though, likely won't be any more insightful. But, but <laughs> it, it'll be a better product, I promise. Fabulous. Uh, so we, we've you're you come at uh, I've I've in doing research for the podcast I, I you know go to your go to your website I look at your CV and you're you're a pretty active poster on Twitter so I, I looked at that as well it's always great to see the different insights um, and the different ways that people look at ophthalmology you have both personally and professionally an interesting view on, on the the generational uh, makeup of ophthalmology uh, clinicians but also of, of patients um, so first of all let Let's uh, hit upon your, your your personal connection to, to ophthalmology. You're you're not the first George Waring to to work in the ophthalmology field. That's correct. That is correct. My uh, father is uh, also an ophthalmologist and, and refractive surgeon, and uh, so we uh, I, I do uh, I suppose come from a lineage of of, uh, of uh, anterior segment uh, surgeons. Excellent. Well, that's that's a good lineage to have. And, and as I mentioned, you've, you've got a lengthy CV and bio, and, and our listeners invited to go to your website, which is always convenient, uh, georgewearingthefourth.com, Roman numeral IV, the fourth. Uh, so the, like, too often, I think, when we look at patient populations, we, we sort of just assign numbers to large groups of people uh, that really are, the people within those numbers are very different. You've got older people. Uh, you've got younger people. And, and I think with healthcare, we tend to assume, or at least I do as a writer, tend to assume that the, the numbers speak about the older people, but uh, I think we're, we're probably uh, neglecting the younger population who are, could be potential clients or potential patients for physicians. Uh, how effective is the ophthalmology industry at reaching the younger demographic? And, is, and I guess the, the larger question, is there a younger demographic there that really needs to be reached? There definitely is, and this is something that... Uh, uh, I learned actually from my mentor Dan Dury uh, uh, during my training with him how he was thinking differently about l- approaching the different generations uh, um, separately, and but looking at it as a lifetime opportunity for eye care, and this is something that he actually would call vision for a lifetime, where. At the time, particularly in corneal refractive surgery, the model was one of catch and release, meaning that you might acquire the patient, help them with their uh, 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 corrective needs surgically, and then they could follow up with um, uh, perhaps a non-surgical healthcare provider. But uh, what we realized was that there were the, the patients were coming back. And um, over the years uh, uh, that actually had other 
surgical needs because of their aging changes that everybody goes through. <clears throat> and uh, Dan was uh, quite insightful and really kind of led this uh, charge of what this vision for a lifetime uh, approach where instead of a catch and release model, he really developed a, uh, uh, basically a, uh, a, retain, a retainment model for patients so that uh, the idea was that you would be able to provide uh, surgical health care uh, opportunity at, for each stage of somebody's life. So somebody comes in in their early 20s, mid-20s, and if they're a good candidate for uh, LASIK to get them out of their contact lenses, then we could provide that. Then they may um, then go through another 10 to 15 years, 20 years, and they start to become presbyopic. Then there may be a, a surgical solution to help them get out of their reading glasses. And then fast forward another 10 to 15 years, and uh, then their aging lens kicks in more and more, and they're not seeing as well as they used to. Then there may be an opportunity for their lens uh, a replacement and or cataracts surgery. So uh, in doing so, he had an opportunity to help somebody, you know, at three or four different stages of their life. And it, there was a, 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 a separate approach for individually for each stage of that person's uh, um, uh, uh, life from a, a marketing perspective. And, uh, and they were approached very differently. Hmm. How do you how do you maintain that relationship? I think catch and release is is a good way to put it. I know uh, you know in dealing with eye doctors, you, you tend to they're not like dentists. You don't go every year for a cleaning. You tend to go to one and then and then uh, and then perhaps move on when your needs change. Is there a way of of maintaining that relationship? You know there 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 are different ways to do it, and we actually can learn a lot from the dental profession. They've done a fabulous job with this model and other models uh, in sort of in the in the self pay sector. Um, one way that we do it is by um, you obviously uh, uh, take the best care of your patients you can. You develop relationships with your patients, uh, but in doing so, then that usually creates an opportunity to uh, help one of their family members. And so often, um, the mid twenty year old that may come in for LASIK, they may refer in their or their their uh, parents that were in who are now needing reading glasses and or uh, having lens changes and not seeing like they used to. They may be interested in vision correction, uh, or the opposite. We may be helping somebody with their uh, dysfunctional lenses, and then their their kids are interested in LASIK. And what it does is it it you then form a connection at the different generations. Uh, within the family, and then that helps uh, kind of at each cycle uh, helps bring the the patients back as they need. Also, you educate them. You let them know, look, this is we this is our approach. This is not a one shot fix for the rest of your life necessarily. These are the changes you can expect, and this is what we can do for you and what we will do for you when that occurs. So it's not that you necessarily are seeing them uh, every year until these changes occur, you may have uh, ancillary healthcare providers uh, and um, uh, physician extenders, uh, but there should be some plan in place so when those those changes do occur that they do come back so you can help them. That's interesting, and um, that's something that uh, I saw in a video that, that you had on Twitter, and I, and I couldn't find it to, to cite the doctor, but the, the connection to the grandchildren who, who may more and more play an active role in, in helping 
folks decide on their care. And I know I've, I've been in a situation where I've helped my father through his care. And uh, he was always impressed by how much <laughs> I knew because I cover the medical industry and I'm involved or I'm, I'm somewhat informed and I could sort of speak to physicians on at least a, a real th- shallow, serv- a, a, shall- a, a very superficial layer, but I was certainly more informed than my dad was. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting way to, to approach um, making contacts with patients as well, looking looking at their younger uh, their younger caretakers. That's right. And that's right. And uh, it's it, it, and it's <clears throat> it's always satisfying, uh, and it's quite common to have that crossover too. Uh, again, where where you have, and it can go both ways. Whether it's with the younger caretakers uh, 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 helping make those decisions, and what's really interesting, Tom, is that often. Uh, at least for the more of the cataract population, it may be their children who are going online and doing the Google searches uh, for doctors to help make their healthcare decisions. But more and more, we are seeing the uh, the older population uh, doing this and becoming more facile with uh, uh, internet search uh, uh, strategies as well. Interesting. That's great. We're going to take a, a quick break and uh, hear a message, and we'll be right back. The Ophthalmology Innovation Summit at ASCRS is the premier platform showcasing both public and private companies with cutting-edge surgical technologies. Applications to present are now being accepted through February 27th. Apply online at ois.net forward slash application. And welcome back to the OIS podcast. I'm here with uh, George Waring IV, and we're talking about the, the general generational uh, makeups of ophthalmology. We, we hit upon the the patients uh, in our first half. Now I'd like to just get your take on on the clinical population. Uh, is ophthalmology an area that continues to draw younger uh, professionals? I mean, we've hear of struggles uh, that the medical industry has in and bringing in new doctors. Do you, do you see any, uh, any shortage of, of new talents coming into the sector? Well, I guess there's, there's a few ways that you can look at it. You can look at the statistics, which do show that there is a shortage of, of, of ophthalmologists and eye surgeons for the burgeoning population and the aging population. So that is something that, uh, to those of us uh, that are um, uh, already in the profession that we uh, look to as an opportunity uh, and but but statistically speaking yes there there really is not enough surgeons uh, to 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 meet the surgical needs of the growing uh, and aging population in terms of um, uh, your the 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 younger ophthalmologist and interest in trying to get involved with industry and uh, to try to make a difference. Uh, I don't think there is a shortage at all. And I don't, but I also don't see that being very necessarily unique or different from uh, the our our mentors and their mentors either, and that there just uh, is um, there's the, the the those of us that have uh, uh, an interest in innovation in the industry and pushing 
the industry and, and are trying to think of ways that we can help grow the industry, we've learned this from uh, those that, that taught us who took the same um, interest, had the same interest, and dedicated their energy uh, to with, with those goals in mind. And so, it, again, it's really nothing new or different. Um, it's, it's just that um, we are uh, – uh, the younger generation is starting to mature, and we're having the opportunity to contribute. I mean, it, and it kind of syncs up with the ophthalmology industry itself. It really seems to be, at least the last couple of years, hitting its stride uh, with FDA approvals of, of least devices and obviously some drugs as well. We're seeing more ophthalmology companies uh, go public, and I know this is not in your clinical purview, but the industry itself seems to be maturing as well, uh, which uh, which has to, to help um, uh, on the uh, on the clinical side. Yeah, we it, it is interesting. I do think we are starting to see a sea change uh, where there were, and I, I guess you can look at it um, in a from a, positively that that there we are starting to see more and more activity in terms of acquisition, in terms of uh, success stories from uh, an idea to um, acquisition. And and this is happening um, uh, more and more. Where there was a, about a decade where it, it really, this was a problem and something that, as an industry, we all really came together and said, "Hey, we need to do something about this." And there were real initiatives uh, set forth by groups such as ACOS to work with the FDA to develop strategies uh, with, uh, with surgeons to figure out how can we streamline some of, um, some of these innovation initiatives and uh, work more in a more collaborative nature. And, uh, and furthermore, we are seeing more and more um, uh, clinician innovators uh, uh, pop up and with real momentum, real ideas that are uh, um, now uh, coming through the innovation pipeline, and it's it's we and it's also come full circle where it seemed that uh, when our for example when my father uh, and early on um, a lot of research was be do being done in the university, uh, then there was a large movement to have research done uh, outside the university uh, in private practice. Then there was a large movement to uh, going outside the U.S. because it was too prohibitive to do it in the U.S. Uh, this has now kind of come full circle where um, we've seen private uh, uh, translational labs pop up, but, but we are uh, able to do real uh, clinical and research in all settings and things are moving, uh, seeming to gain some momentum and we're seeing things move quicker. And at least one, one reason for this is also the acquisition of smaller companies by larger companies and some of the multinational uh, corporations and super corporations that are uh, 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 have the ability uh, to not only not only that is to say not only do they have the ability to acquire, but their model is not necessarily one of um, R and D investment. However, it's one of acquisition. 
So now there is that exit strategy um, or these things are coming to fruition because the larger companies are more aggressively acquiring the smaller companies and allowing, uh, it's completing the cycle of innovation. Yeah, and that's only going to encourage more investment. So it's kind of right. a self-perpetuating process, which is great news. Right. Uh, so how are you engaging um, folks in your, and I, and I should ask, how, I'm, I'm 45, how old are you? What, what generation? Uh, 40, 43. Oh, okay, all right. So we we're in the same Generation X sort of, uh, sort of uh, grouping. Right. Uh, how are you reaching younger uh, clinicians? I know you, you were, you're active with Millennial Eye, you're chief medical, F, chief medical editor of, uh, of that publication, and I know you've, folks had a, a conference of your own. Last fall in in Austin, what what are what are some of the the, the uh, first of all, I guess you're you, are you involved? Or, uh, do you have a bit of the, the 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 publishing bug? You've got a long list of, of publications that you're you're involved with. I mean, do you do you secretly want to be a writer and, and put this surgeon stuff behind you, <laughs> or uh, is, is this just a way that you see that's uh, an effective way of, of reaching folks in your in your peer group? Uh, it, it is certainly an interest of mine um, that uh, uh, that uh, we have we, we see it as an opportunity, and um, we by no means would ever put the surgeon surgery behind us. Uh, that that's our, our bread and butter, and that's what we're writing about. So if we weren't uh, able to um, uh, to um, uh, be uh, active clinically and surgically, then we wouldn't have a whole lot to, to get to, to write about. So this is something that um, that is a uh, what I would consider um, not the not a top priority, all things considered, uh, relative to surgery. However, this is something that we do um, invest time and energy into because we see it as an opportunity to get to teach others uh, about new ideas, about new approaches uh, to a, a problem, about a, a new surgical uh, technique or um, or solution or approach or technology or even uh, paradigm uh, in, in the way of thinking. And this is something that um, there's there's different ways that you can do that. Uh, the most effective way that has always been the peer-reviewed literature, because at the end of the day, that's what holds weight, and that's what people have to trust, and that's the resource for um, uh, to try to figure out if something is clinically meaningful or not. And so um, we've through the years really tried to stay focused on uh, on contributions in the peer-reviewed literature, and and but in addition to that, we also feel there's a real opportunity to educate through the ophthalmic news and through congresses and um, and we've had some really really wonderful opportunities uh, with um, uh, some of the different media groups uh, to uh, be able to um, look at things a little bit differently in terms of uh, for example, you had, you had brought up the um, the opportunity with Millennial Eye. This has just been a, a really neat project uh, from with BMC that have allowed um, us and 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 our um, uh, and the editorial board uh, to basically put together something that hadn't been done before 
in the form of a paperless uh, um, ophthalmic uh, um, uh, news uh, uh, journal that is a an app that you get in the in, in iTunes and that is media rich. It's relevant. Uh, this is all about innovation, uh, how kind of this younger generation is thinking. It's really targeted to a younger um, uh, audience with innovation in mind about how th uh, what's new, uh, what's exciting, and um, a lot of it's uh, video uh, related. And, and it's all on your mobile device and free. Uh, and it's interactive. And because it w was met with such wonderful success, um, we then had the opportunity to actually develop a meeting around it, which, like you said, we had our first one in Austin, and it was it had the same spirit and the same innovative thinking of let's put together a meeting that really is unique, really has it's unlike anything that had been done before um, in terms of the the the, the free form thinking and content and uh, the way it was set up, the style, the um, uh, and it was a wonderful mix of industry, young ophthalmologists, and uh, and uh, it just it was it was just really great. Terrific. And looking forward, uh, what do you see as the big stories developing uh, this year? We're in January, so we're able to do our little forecasting. Uh, what might we be talking about at this year's OIS meetings or at your next Millennial Eye meeting if you have one uh, at the end of the year? Uh, it's always fun to to guess and project uh, um, and the I, i'm I believe new i o l technology is always going to be on the top of the list uh, you know my, my 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 feeling is that um, that we are moving more and more towards lens based uh, uh, refractive procedures. And uh, there's now with the innovation pipeline starting to open up again, uh, we are seeing that next generation of IOLs come through, uh, which are um, really exciting. So this is really important. Presbyopia is uh, always a hot topic and is going to continue to be a hot topic. And uh, my prediction is that this will uh, could become its own subspecialty, surgical subspecialty. And we've actually looked at putting together a fellowship just in the surgical correction of presbyopia. Um, uh, working with smart technologies and perhaps uh, like we started to hear about the last OIS meeting with uh, Google uh, collaborations, uh, who knows where that may go once we start to take it from glasses and contacts and potentially combine them with IOLs uh, or corneal inlays. <clears throat> you just never know what can happen. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, we're going to start looking at next generation um, uh, XMR platforms Topography-guided uh, uh, ablations are really going to open things up here in the U.S. Uh, and then biomechanics in terms of um, refractive potential refractive procedures just by altering the biomechanical properties of the eye, uh, I think is also going to be going to be hot. Excellent. Well, looking forward to reporting on on much of that this year. George, thank you for taking some time today. I know you've got a, a busy day ahead, but uh, appreciate the thoughts and the insight. Tom, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. 
Thank you again, George Waring, for joining the OIS podcast. Next week, I'll have the chance to speak with Dr. Vance Thompson about the secret weapon he employs in building his own successful practice. Please listen in, and we'll see you in San Diego. Join the Surgical Ophthalmology Innovators on April 16th in San Diego for OIS at ASCRS, where you will see and meet the leading companies and clinicians. The now expanded program features a showcase of emerging technologies to treat the most pressing anterior segment diseases, while also including plenary talks and discussions around business, regulatory, and finance. Hear what Jim Mazo has to say. I would tell you that OIS is now the come-to meeting in ophthalmology, and the reason is, is you're able to bring industry, practitioners, innovators in one audience discussing not what's happening today, but what's happening tomorrow. Very rarely do you have a meeting where you're discussing the future of an industry. You're usually talking about the presence, and that's why people come to this meeting, because they're hearing about things today that will impact our industry tomorrow. Visit OIS.net and sign up today.